Good morning. Um, we are in Genesis chapter 42. If you are visiting with us, uh, we normally go through books of the Bible. Uh, we've taken Genesis in chunks, and we are in the last section, uh, and this is the life of Joseph. So just quickly to, um, to get us um, all together on, on the story, uh, o- over the course of 13 years, Joseph has gone from uh, his father's favorite child, favorite son, uh, spoiled by his father, uh, to, to being a slave and in prison. His brothers despised him because he was his father's favorite, and he was kind of a brat, it seems, but they despised him, and to, in order to be rid of him, they sold him into slavery. And then they lied to their father and said that he had been killed uh, by a wild animal. Joseph served faithfully as Potiphar's slave. We've talked a lot about Joseph's faithfulness. He served as if he were serving the Lord. He was faithful to do the right things. Um, And he was faithful in serving Potiphar. He was thrown into jail because Potiphar's wife lied about him and accused him of doing something that he had not done uh, in prison. Prison was a bad place, um, but Joseph remained faithful. He he referred to prison as uh, the pit, like the pit that he was in when his brothers sold him into slavery. Um, Joseph was faithful there, faithful to work, uh, faithful to work hard when he was in prison. Uh, he was a trusted person. Um, he, was, he was above reproach. And, and so as he served in prison, um, he was given more and more tasks to do uh, and actually given a place of prominence and serving. And everything in the prison Um, came under his watch. When he was in prison, there um, there were two men from Pharaoh thrown into prison with him. They had a dream. Joseph interpreted their dreams, and Joseph said, when you are restored, remember me, because Joseph didn't want to be in prison anymore. Remember me. Get me out of this pit. I don't deserve to be here. I've done nothing wrong. Uh, The cupbearer did not remember Joseph, and so for two years, Joseph continued uh, as as a prisoner. So last week, uh, we saw Joseph remained in prison until Pharaoh had a dream and no one could interpret it, um, and Joseph did. Joseph came and interpreted Pharaoh's dream um, and also came up with a plan uh, on how the Pharaoh and Egypt could make it through the coming famine. Uh, and that's where we pick up this morning. Um, Joseph interpreting Pharaoh's dream. Uh, Joseph is now placed second in command over all of Egypt, and, and we pick up um, we pick up here. And what we begin to see is finally the fulfillment of the dreams that Joseph had all the way back in chapter 37, when we were really introduced to his life. So thus far as we've talked about Joseph going through this study, we've talked a lot about God's hand in Joseph's life. Um, As the story has has moved through Joseph's life, um, we've seen God constantly with Joseph in good times and in bad times. We've also talked a lot about Joseph's faithfulness and how Joseph was filled with faith. Joseph's faithfulness to work and again to work as though he were working for the Lord himself, um, to be above reproach, to be a man of honor, a man who could be trusted. He was a faithful, faithful um, servant. And, and, And 
we've talked about God's hand again, how everywhere that Joseph went, the Lord was always with him. Even in Joseph's faithful work, we, we talked about how God was with Joseph, blessing the work that he did. Like it wasn't that Joseph just worked hard and so he was promoted. Um, the hand of God was with him, blessing the work of Joseph in everything that he did. So what we haven't talked about, right? So week after week, we've talked about um, Joseph's faithfulness, and we've talked about God's faithfulness. What we haven't talked a whole lot about is Joseph's feelings and emotions, not just Joseph's, but Jacob, his father, and his brother as well. We haven't talked about how they dealt with um, and handled all of the adversities that life was throwing their way. And the reason that we haven't talked about it is because it really hasn't been in the text. We haven't seen much about how um, all of these circumstances impacted Joseph. We haven't, we haven't heard about his emotions or seen what maybe he was going through. But today changes all of that. And I'm, I'm so thankful that God put these verses uh, in his word for us to see. So we see this morning in this passage more of God's hand at work, and we should not miss, miss that, the divine. God always at work no matter what the circumstances of life are. But we also see more of what it means to be human and really what it means to live in the complexities of a broken and fallen world as humans. Um, and so let, let's jump in because there's a lot here. We're going to read a lot today. Uh, so again, Genesis 42 is where we are. We should have it on the screens as well. Be patient with me in reading all of this. Um, I'm going to do the best I can. Genesis chapter 42, uh, verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. So let's start with the divine, right? What we see of God's hand at work here. And I won't because we are meant to see that. We, we are meant to be reminded of how involved God is in the life of Joseph and, and is in our lives as well. So some of this is going to be a, a, a reminder of things that we've already talked about, and some of it will be what we see in this passage. Right? 20 years or more has now passed since Joseph was sold by his brothers. 20 years is a long time. 13 years he spent as, as a slave uh, and in prison. And then we have had seven years of bountiful harvest. This was a part of Pharaoh's dream. Seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. And now the famine has begun. So at least 20 years has passed. Now, we've taught a, a lot along the way about God's hand. God has sovereignly walked with Joseph um, in and through all of his suffering. 
all of it, from the, from the very start, right? His brothers who were present with him, um, throwing him in the pit, debating whether to kill him or not, selling him into slavery, where he went as a slave. God was with Joseph in all of that. God also used that, that time where Joseph was a slave and a prisoner to teach him. Like this was a part of God's gracious and sovereign plan in Joseph's life. God used that time to teach Joseph, to teach him about crops and harvesting. Remember, he was a shepherd, right? He, he wasn't, his family didn't grow crops. They were shepherds. Here, Joseph would learn about crops, about harvesting, about storing. God used this time to teach him about, about managing resources, to teach him about managing people, to teach him about leading people. Up until this point, we have seen no leadership, you know, of Joseph when he was at home with his brothers. What we saw was that he was not a leader, that he was, he, he did poorly when it came to his brothers and the people around him. So the Lord was using this time to teach him about how to lead people and how to organize people. God was using those times of, of suffering in Joseph's life as a slave and then as, as, as a prisoner, teaching Joseph um, not just about people, but, but organization and systems and structures, all the things that Joseph would need in order to do what needed to be done during this famine and after. God was teaching him for all those years everything that he needed hands-on in order to be, number two, in command of all of Egypt. We've talked about how Potiphar and the jailer both saw the blessing of God in Joseph's life, right? Like, like Joseph was blessed. Everything he did was blessed. They, they saw it so clearly that they both gave his God, Elohim, the glory and the credit for, for what happened in Joseph's life. Like everything that he touched was a success, and they attributed that to God because God was so present in Joseph's life. Everything he did succeeded. Yes, Joseph was faithful, and that mattered, but it was more than Joseph just being faithful. It was God with Joseph. We talked as well about how it was God who brought the baker and the cup, um, the cup bearer to prison, two men who would have been really close to Pharaoh, and how it was that... Um, Joseph was there to interpret their dreams, how God gave him the interpretation, and, and the interpretation of their dreams um, came true exactly as he said it would. Um, all of this, God was at work in those circumstances, um, and, and, and God worked in the, the good days and the bad days for Joseph. Um, while he was in prison, even though he was in prison, like he, he told the cup, cup bearer, remember me when you get out. The cup bearer didn't. It meant that he had to stay for two more years in prison. He continued to learn. He continued to grow even while he was in prison. And, and it was the cup bearer, right? It was God. It was God who reminded the cup bearer of Joseph. And he did that when God gave Pharaoh a dream. The dream that he gave to Pharaoh was more than just a dream. It was a glimpse of the future. God holds the future in his hand. And God was giving Pharaoh a glimpse of the future, of what would be the seven good years and the seven bad years. It was God who shut the mouths of all of the, the magicians and the wise men, those people who would normally interpret Pharaoh's dreams. God shut their mouths and their minds 
so that Pharaoh was just left with his dream and wondering what it meant. It was then that the cupbearer remembered two years earlier, Joseph had interpreted a dream for him. This again is all God's sovereign, gracious, divine hand at work in the life of Joseph. So Joseph is released from prison to stand before the Pharaoh, hear Pharaoh's dream, uh, tell Pharaoh exactly what the dream meant. This was all from God. The dream was from God, that no one could interpret it was from God, that the cupbearer would remember Joseph was from God, that Joseph would stand before Pharaoh, give an interpretation, all the hand of God. In addition to that, God gave the wisdom to Joseph that he needed, part of it through his years of serving and training and learning, and part of it, I'm sure, by the Holy Spirit when he heard, when he heard this dream, he gave Joseph all the wisdom that he needed to say to the Pharaoh, hey, here's what we need to do in these seven years of good, and here's what we need to be prepared for in the seven years of bad. God was with Joseph in all of it. No matter what the circumstances, no matter how dark everything seemed to be, God was with Joseph, and we've talked about that week after week. His involvement in Joseph's life every day, how he used Joseph's slavery and, and then prison to teach him, to introduce him to important people, to give him the training, the leadership development that he needed in those places. All of this is the divine hand of God. And as we've said, each week as we've gone through that, these things are, are given to us. They are meant to lead us to trust in our God more to see that no matter what the circumstances are in our own lives, God is with us, to trust that no matter what is going on, God is at work even, even in those difficult circumstances. We are meant, hearing these stories, to have confidence in him, knowing that he is faithful and that he is true and that he is more than able to fulfill every promise that he makes to us. Now, as we read these first six verses, we see that through all of this, the famine has come and the famine has reached even the land of Canaan, where Jacob and Joseph's family live. Jacob and his sons are running out of food. They're looking at one another. They have no idea what to do. Uh, and Jacob then says, I hear there is food in Egypt. Take some money and go to Egypt and buy grain that they are selling. So Jacob sends 10 of, his, uh, 10 of Joseph's brothers to buy grain, and he keeps the youngest, Benjamin, with him. Verse 6 says, Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Now, do you remember the dream that Joseph had back in chapter 37 when we started? 20 years earlier. 20 years earlier, Joseph dreamed. He dreamed two dreams, dreams that his brothers and even his father would bow down to him, dreams that he would rule over his family. Now we see 20 years later, God is bringing those dreams to be. His father, his father wasn't there. Benjamin, his younger bro brother, wasn't there, but it was happening. God was working to bring that family, to bring his father, to bring Benjamin before him. Ten of his brothers stood before him, and then they bowed with their faces to the ground. Twenty years. 
How many years? 20 years. Y'all, 20 years is a long time, isn't it? 20 years. Listen to me. Sometimes the hand of God moves swiftly. Sometimes it takes 20 years. 20 years. I am, I am emphasizing that because oftentimes when trouble comes our way, we are, we are, we are very short-sighted. And it doesn't take us long to grow weary and, and to blame God and to give up, to give up on the, the dream, to give up on the promises of God, to give up on all of it. 20 years, 20 years Joseph waited. Israel would be called, remember I've said this is who this was written for originally, it was for God's people as they wandered in the wilderness. Israel would be called to believe in the promises of God and in his presence and his power with them, even as they wandered, and they would wander for 40 years, 40 years waiting for the promise. This was a picture for them. It was a picture for them that, that God was with Joseph for all of those 20 years. It was a picture for them to say, yes, the time between the promise and, and the delivery on the promise, it was a long time, but God was at work in all of it. From, from the beginning to the end, God was working in all 20 years. It's a reminder for us. Sometimes the hand of God is swift, and sometimes it takes 20 years or more. I remember years ago being at an Acts 29 church planting uh, conference, and Rick White, a pastor uh, in Acts 29, was speaking to this room full of guys who wanted to be church planters. And he said, he said something along these lines, you are, you are here today because you have had a dream, because you dream of planting a church. And it may very well be a dream from God. It may very well be a call on your life, but you need to know that sometimes the dream and its fulfillment takes time. If this is God's call, believe the dream and wait on God. That's the hard part isn't it? Waiting on God. But Joseph had. Joseph had. As we, as we look to the divine in these verses, I, I, think, I think the call is the same for us. Trust God. Trust God. Believe in his promises, even in the waiting. Look for the many ways that God has shown you his hand in your life, uh, the many ways that he has demonstrated to you that he is, he is with you and he is for you and he is providing for you. He is working even in the difficult circumstances, even in your waiting. So let's keep going with the story. Now, there are a lot of verses left, and I want to read most of them because the story really sort of tells itself. And, and then after we read them, I want to talk about the humanity, you know, what we see uh, of, of, of being human in these verses, because really, I, I don't think we've seen a lot of that to this point. So, so let's read, right? Ten of Joseph's brothers come before him and, and bow. We pick up in verse 7. 
Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had had, that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, No, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the son of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, and your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you. Or else, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this. And you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households. Bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed, and as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this their hearts failed them, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, what is this that God has done to us? When they finally uh, get home, they tell their father about everything that has happened. They tell him about Joseph's demands. I'll hold your brother, Simeon, until you return with your youngest brother. When you have returned with your youngest brother, then I will set him free, and you will be free to trade in the land. Verse 35 says that as they were talking with their father and unloading their bags, they each found all of the money that they had given for the purchase of the grain back in their bags. All of their money was back. Verse 35, and when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. 
But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. So the story is, is simple enough. The brothers minus Benjamin come to Joseph. Joseph is doing several things, it seems, in this section. One of the big things that Joseph is doing is testing them. He's testing them to see w whether they are good or bad people. He hasn't seen them in 20 years. He knows absolutely nothing about them, and so he's testing them. Are they good people? Have they repented? Have they continued down this path of bad and evil? Or are they people who can be trusted? But he's doing more than that. He's trying to get them to bring Benjamin, to bring Benjamin back with them so that he can see the brother that he, that he loved. Now, so far in the story, we, we've talked about how faithful that Joseph has been, and Joseph has been an incredibly faithful, and we, we've talked about how much it seems that Joseph has trusted God, even in the most difficult of circumstances, how he has believed in the promises of God and the presence of God. But here we begin to see, through the cracks, the humanity of Joseph. The humanity of Joseph and his brothers and even his fathers. Now, let, let, me, let me take you back to chapter 41. I want to read a couple of verses there, reminding you uh, of where Joseph was before today. Joseph had two sons, and, and here's what we read. Chapter 41, beginning in verse 51, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardships... And all my father's house. Verse 52, the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Faithful and faith-filled Joseph truly believed that he was over his past. He thought he was, he thought he was finished with his past. He thought that he had dealt with everything that there was to deal with. Manasseh. For God has made me forget all of my hardship and all of my father's home, Ephraim. For God has made life good for me in Egypt. That's my paraphrase. My family is behind me. There are no strings there. It is forgotten. It is forgotten, and my life is good. That's what Joseph is saying. But it isn't true. And when Joseph's brothers came and bowed before him, he immediately recognized them. Twice we are told that Joseph recognized them, and we are also told that they did not recognize him. What a painful sting that must have been for Joseph. To see his brothers before him, to recognize his brothers, and his brothers not recognize him. Joseph also remembered his dream as they bowed down before him, and it seems with that there was a flood of emotions. I'm, 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 I'm hoping that you will see the great contradiction between what we just read in chapter 41 and what we see in chapter 42. 
We, we, are, we are told that Joseph treated them roughly. Joseph was acting like he didn't know them. Knowing that they were, they were innocent, Joseph, Joseph not only treated them roughly, but he accused them of being spies. He accused them of being spies, and they were, they were at least innocent of that. They plead with Joseph. We, we aren't spies. We are, we are hungry. We are without food. We are coming because we heard that there was food. Joseph, Joseph pushes back again, knowing, knowing that they aren't spies. He's pushing back. You are spies. You've come to see how weak we are in our land because of the famine. You are spies. Then he throws them in jail, and he leaves them there for three days. Was he giving them a taste of their own medicine? With this flood of emotions that he had as he saw his brothers before him, was he, was he forcing them to feel what he had felt as a 17-year-old thrown into a pit and sold into slavery? Did he want them to know what the Egyptian prison was like, the Egyptian prison where he had spent so many years because of them? On the third day, he came back and said, Because I fear God, you are being released. But, but I still want you to go and get your brother. Nine of you can return. One of you will stay until everyone comes back, or you will die. In verse 21, we get a, a glimpse of the humanity of his brothers. It was 20 years ago that they sold him into slavery, 20 years ago that they lied to their father and said that he had been killed by a, a wild animal. They, too, had buried their past, right? They had buried their past. At least they thought they had. They thought that they had buried their past. They thought that they had moved on from it, but it was never gone. And here they see their sinfulness. In truth, verse 21, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. We are guilty. They recognize, even though they don't recognize Joseph, they recognize. They recognize their own sinfulness. They recognize their, their own guilt. And in these words, we need to see and feel the pain that they did, the guilt and the shame. It all comes rushing back on them. We heard the distress of his cries. This is our fault. We heard the distress of his cries. We heard him begging for mercy, and we ignored it. Reuben speaks up, I told you, I told you, I told you to leave the boy alone. But now, because you didn't, we will pay for this. The time of reckoning has come for us. They spoke to one another thinking that Joseph couldn't hear them or didn't understand what it was that they were saying, but Joseph heard it all. He heard every word that they said, and he began to weep. 
We, 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 we read that he had to leave their presence so that they wouldn't see him weeping. Joseph kept Simeon with him while his brothers returned home. And, 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 and don't miss the contrast here that we have, right? The, 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 the conflicted emotions and feelings. Joseph is weeping for his brothers, weeping for how they feel, weeping for all that's happened to him. Joseph is being rough with them. He's thrown them in prison. He's treating them like spies. And now, now there, there are hints of grace with him. All of you but one can go, where before everyone stayed and one could go. On top of that, he sent them all home with grain. Take this grain with you for your household. And the money, the money that they brought to give him to pay for the grain, he placed all of that back in their bags for them. It was all for their good. He did it without them knowing. And we, we read back to his brothers. We read about his brothers on the way home. One of them finds the money in his bag, and, and they all immediately panic, right? Don't miss that as well. They all immediately panic because they know what this means. We're going to be accused of stealing. We're going to be accused of stealing from this harsh ruler, Joseph. He's going to think we've stolen from him and from Egypt. What will he do with us? Simeon was still there. So, so uh, imagine the fear and the dread and the panic and the confusion. W what do we do, right? If we go back, we're going to be accused of, of stealing from Egypt and we'll, we'll be killed. If we don't go back with our, with our youngest brother, then Pharaoh is going to kill us for that because he's going to accuse us of being spies and liars. But if we do take him and they think, they think that we have stolen, then even Benjamin will be killed with us. And Simeon is there. Do we leave Simeon? If we leave him, then he dies. If we leave him, then we die because of the famine. Y'all, do you see all the emotions and all of the confusion and all of the, the fear and the dread and the panic? When they, when they come home, they tell their father about what has happened. And, and as they're talking to their father, it seems they are beginning to unpack their bags. And, and, and as they do, immediately, every one of them finds the same thing. All of the money was put back in their bags. And their fear is multiplied. Jacob is now afraid. He's afraid because of the money. He's afraid for Simeon, his son, who is in prison in Egypt. He's afraid for Benjamin. I've already lost one precious son, and now you want to take another? See, for Jacob, the, the pain of losing Joseph 20 years ago, 20 years ago, and the pain is all still there, made fresh in this moment. Go ahead and bury me, he's saying. Go ahead and bury me. Put me in the ground. It is all too much for me. Chapter 41, again, Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. He had not forgotten. 
20 years later, Joseph and his entire family were still haunted. Anger, revenge, rejection, fear, panic, worry, conviction, guilt, sorrow, all of it. This is our humanity. This is what it means to be human. These are the realities of life. Hear me, I want to say that again. This, this is the reality of life. Life lived as, as, as mortal humans, imperfect, broken, living in a fallen world. Sometimes, sometimes, hear me, sometimes we, we read the Bible and we hear these stories and, and, and we miss the humanity. Our, our heroes, like, like faithful and faith-filled Joseph, they seem to, to always be perfect. They, they, they seem to, to never waver in their strength or in following God. In, in our minds, they seem to always believe with certainty, no matter what is going on in their life. They seem so strong and perfect. Joseph was strong. We've talked about that week after week. Joseph was, was faithful. His life really was a life of following God. He, he was faith-filled. Filled. He, he believed and trusted that, that God was with him no matter what was going on. He, he believed that God was faithful and true. Joseph believed all of that, and we should see that. And, and, and back to where we started this morning, not only should we, we see that, we, we, we should see that God is faithful and true and that Joseph trusts in his God. It should draw us to the same. It should be our desire to see how amazing and mighty and faithful and able and true that our God is no matter what the circumstances are. And we should be drawn to be like Joseph, to trust. To trust that God is with us. But listen, we should... We should also recognize the frailty of our humanity. And that's why I'm thankful for these verses. We should see the frailty of our, our faithfulness and, and, and the frailty of even a faith-filled life. There are still times of doubt and times of despair. There are still times of feeling rejected and alone and unsure. There are times of, of, of being angry and bitter and, and even being vengeful. We see all of that in the life of Joseph. There are times when we thought that we had moved on from the hurt and the pain and the loss, times that we thought that we had moved on from whatever that bad thing was, only to have all of the emotions flood us again. Just like they did Joseph and Jacob and his brothers. This is the reality of our humanity. But listen to me. This never separates us from God. Don't miss this part. Oftentimes, oftentimes we, we, we feel like because we're not perfect like Joseph was perfect. 
or perfect like David was perfect, because our faith has wavered, because we have had these times of doubt, and maybe it's a day of doubt, two days, three days, weeks, when we have those times of doubt, we say to ourselves, if I was really a good Christian, if I, if I really had faith, then I wouldn't feel these feelings. God is disappointed in me, and God has left me. Listen to me. None of that separates you from the love of God. Nothing separates you from the love of your Father. I, 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 I want you to be encouraged this morning, right? To, to, to leave here like knowing, and this is what it means to be human. God, God really does understand, and, and even in those moments, Joseph, we will see, Joseph was rough with his brothers. Joseph tested his brothers. Joseph threw his brothers in jail, and God was still with Joseph, and God would continue to do what God was going to do. So, so several things I want to hopefully you will leave with some encouragement. Number one, God is not put off by your feelings. God is not put off by your feelings. God knows you, and he loves you deeply. He cares for your feelings, even when they lead you to be angry with him. I said this a week or two ago. Those feelings that we have of anger and hurt and bitterness, they are gifts from God, not to drive us away from God, but ultimately to drive us to God, to, to remind us that he is the only one who can fix the brokenness, to remind us that no matter what the circumstances are, he is the one who is faithful and true. They're meant to drive us to him. Your feelings don't hurt God's feelings. Your, your feelings, your angerness, your distrust, whatever it is that you feel, God is not put off by that. David, David, who wrote many of the Psalms, was a man after God's own heart. That's how he is described. He is a man that, 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 that God loved. And he was a man who loved God. And yet, if you read the Psalms, you will see again and again and again times in David's life when he was filled with anger and, and hurt and blame and uncertainty, and he pointed a finger at God. God, why would you do all of this? Where are you in my time of need? God never stopped loving David even when he pointed a finger. God will never stop loving you. God is not put off by your feelings. Number two, your wavering faith does not lead to God's unfaithfulness. I want to say that again. Your wavering faith does not lead to God's unfaithfulness. In all of Joseph's uncertainty, God was with him. God never left him. Even now, we will see in the days to come that God continues to work. Our, healing, our feelings, our hesitations, our uncertainty, none of that changes God's faithfulness. He is faithful, and he is true, and he will never leave you, and he will never forsake you, no matter what your feelings are. He is faithful and true. Listen to me. That's all he can be. 
That's all he can be. All that he can ever be is faithful and true, and it's all that he will ever be because it is who he is. He is faithful and true no matter what doubt you have, no matter how you feel. He is faithful and true, and he will be. Number three, no matter what you are feeling, you have hope. No matter what you are feeling, you have hope. Probably need to say that about a thousand times because when you are not feeling hope, you are not feeling hope. But, but I want you to know, no matter, no matter what you feel, you have hope. Now, again, a lot, of times, a lot of times we think because we have these feelings and these doubts and these uncertainties that God is upset with us or that God doesn't love us, and so now we are distant from God because we've done something that offends God. Listen to me. Your hope is not now, nor has it ever been, in the strength and certainty of your faithfulness. Do you understand that? Your hope has never been in your faithfulness. Your, your, your hope is not in the, in the perfection of your faith. Your hope is not in the perfection of your faith. Your, your hope is, 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 is only in one place and can only be in one place. Your hope is in Jesus. If it is anywhere else, you will be hopeless. Jesus, whose faithfulness never wavered. Jesus, whose, whose faith was perfect. Jesus, the better Joseph. Listen to me. We see, we see Joseph was a faithful man. He was a faithful man, and he was faith-filled. He believed as God, but he wavered. He wavered. Jesus is the only one who has never wavered. Jesus is the better Joseph. His faithfulness never wavered. His faith was perfect. And Jesus lived the life of perfection that you and I cannot live. This is why we have hope. Listen to me. This is the good news that we can have hope even though we waver in our faithfulness, even though our faith fails us. He lived the life of perfection because we can't. It's why he came. He came because our faith will waver. He, he came because there will be times when we are faithless. He died the death that we deserve because of our sin and imperfection. And he was raised from death, defeating death and sin and Satan. And ultimately, he is coming back to defeat his enemies and our enemies. And for all who trust him, for all who trust in the good news of the gospel, that he has done for us what we cannot do, when he comes, he will wipe away every tear. Even Joseph's. And he will right every wrong. Remember this. Remember who he is and what he has done when your faith wavers. Don't look for peace and hope in your faithfulness or in the fact that you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Don't look to yourself for peace and faith. Look to Jesus the only place of hope. Last one. Because of Jesus, you do not have to be alone. 
Because of Jesus, you don't have to be alone. There are two things there, right? One, and it is beautiful, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, God with us. And the Holy Spirit comes to us when we are believers and trusting in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit indwells us. He is with us, and Jesus said he is in us, and he will be until the day of our redemption when we stand face to face with our Father. The Holy Spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit is with us. God will not leave us, and God will not forsake us. That is a beautiful truth. But there is another. He has given us one another. He has given us one another as, as, as family. He's given us one another as family. We are, we are meant to be God's grace to and toward one another. We, we are meant to be a people who see the hurts of one another, who listen to the pains of one another. We are meant, we are meant to be grace to one another. We, 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 we weep with those who weep. We mourn with those who mourn. No one is alone with your family. And when the time is right, when the time is right in that morning, God gives us one another to point us back to him, to point us to his faithfulness, to remind us of the gift that we have in Jesus, the evidence that God is with us and God is for us, the ultimate evidence that we are, we are not alone. When the time is right, we point one another back, back to him, back to the God who is faithful and true. And when I say you are not alone, that we should be here for you, it is also true that you should be here for us. Do you hear me? You too are meant to be God's grace toward other people in the family. And not only to one another in the family, but even to those outside of the family, to, to others who need to hear that there is hope no matter the circumstances. It's to help others see the hand of God in their lives, even in the darkness. This is what it means to be human. This is the reality of our humanity. Days of faithlessness, days of doubt, days of discouragement, and a God who is with us no matter what. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love. Thank you from me. Thank you that your faithfulness isn't based on mine. Thank you that you are always faithful and true, no matter what. Thank you for these verses in this passage. To be reminded that we, we are more like Joseph in his doubt and uncertainty, more like his brothers in fear and panic, maybe than we care to admit. But what beautiful news that you were still with Joseph and Jacob and Joseph's brothers, and you were still with us. We love you. Holy Spirit, help us remember, in Jesus' name, 
Amen.